I'd like you to open your Bible tonight to the book of Acts chapter 20. Would you agree with me tonight if I said that a church should be well grounded in what it believes? That a body of believers, which is referred to today as a church, should be a body of believers whose relationship to God has caused them to know what they should believe and that they are secure in what they believe. Would you agree to that? I would. But I think a sign of maturity in any church is when the people in the church know what they believe and know in whom they have believed and are able in and of themselves to stand their ground, earnestly contend for the faith and be ready always to give an answer to every man who should see something of this in our lives, that he should see something and ask you a reason of the hope that is within you. Not the church busyness, but the resident power of the Word of God in your life and what it's doing. Because if the Word of God is resident and abiding in you, should it not be evidenced by how it affects us? All right, Acts 20. And verse 32, I've got you on my side. And now, brethren, he says, Paul is meeting with the elders at Ephesus. He said, and now, brothers, brethren, I commend you unto God and the word of his grace, which is able. Now, I don't know if you write in your Bible or if you take notes, but that'd be a good one to underline, which is able. Which is able to do two things. One, to build you up. And secondly, to give you an inheritance among all those that are sanctified. God declares that his word is able. And more than once, but he says it here in our text tonight, God's word is able, which means it possesses power. It possesses ability to accomplish. The word dunamis is... Uh, in one, I remember years back somewhere in, in following a translator or a following a dictionary, the word dynamite or power had to do with the ability to overcome resistance. And everybody in this room, for the rest of your life, as your Christian lives, something is going to come against you always. There's not going to be a day the devil will leave any of you alone. If you get used to it, you won't fight. But when you begin to realize because of the knowledge of this word that, that things that are coming against me are trying to keep me from using the word, you know, like a sword, something's trying to hold me back. Something's trying to tell me it's not a big enough deal for you to get all wrapped up spiritually, start fighting. Just look, I mean, you know, everybody goes through this, so just kind of do your best. When you start thinking like that, it's the time to draw that sword. But if you don't know what the sword is or what the sword says, you really don't have anything to draw. Paul said to these elders, because there was something going on, we'll get to that in just a minute. He said, brethren, he said, I commend you. That is, I, I commit you to the Lord, just like when we ordained elders in Acts 14, when they had ordained them elders in every city. They prayed and they fasted, and then they commended them or committed them to the Lord. It was an act of giving them over. He said, I commend you in Shelbyville Christian Assembly to the word of God. Now you, well, we got that. Yeah, I know you do, but I want you to realize that there's something there 
that for the rest of your life will enable you to win all these battles and skirmishes. You'll never have to lose. You will engage the enemy every, every turn in your life. It never promises that you lose. You may fall. You may get down. You'll have to get up, but you'll never lose. When the end is over, when the end comes and the wars of life are over, you'll still be there. If, if what I'm about to say is, is working for you, if this word is abiding in you. We said that Sunday. Remember that? Because you see, that word is able. It contains the power to overcome resistance. It has in it, as God spoke it, each and every word, even the begats, contains power to do something. There's no word in the Bible that is spoken which is an aimless, weak word. There is no word that is void of power. Every word, because it came from God, has power in it because it's the only thing that moves God. God did not say our tears and our sorrow and our languishing and our hopeless cries of despair. He didn't say that's what moves him. But he says what moves him is the word of God. He said his word shall not return void, but it shall accomplish. His word shall accomplish. But if you don't know what his word says, then mostly all you can do is to cry and, and hope. And I think there are numerous Christians, good-hearted people, as good as anybody here, who just don't know, have never really been taught. They don't have the kind of information that God awaits to use. Doesn't the Bible say my people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge? We know that God could certainly deliver his people from, from being destroyed. I mean, God could say, oh, no, 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 you, no, no, no. These are my people. You're not going to destroy them. If it worked like that, we wouldn't need to be here tonight. But God is gracious, and he gives us his word. And he says, as you should know, he, he watches over his word to perform it. Never slumbers, never sleeps, always awake, always awaiting that prayer that sends a word back up there because he said his word does not return void or empty. Now, if we're taught that, that every word of God has God's backing behind it, then it'll start meaning more to us than maybe it has. Because God's given me something that I can fight with. Now, I need him because I'm depending on what he said to put me over in life. Now, I'm going to take him at his word. If he said it'll work, then I praise God, I'm going to speak it. I'm going to speak it with my mouth, just like he spoke it to me with his. He says, so shall my word that be that goes forth out of my mouth. Now, he said that, so I'm going to do that too. The word's going to come out of my mouth. Out of the abundance of the heart. And you hide the word where? In your heart. But see, we can't, we can't speak the word if we don't hide the word. That's another sermon. But he said, I commend you unto God and to the word of his grace, which is able. Which is able, and then there's, again, there's numerous scriptures that will tell you what his word is able to do. You see, the word of God is never a dead letter. The word of God is never the same old, same old. No matter how many times you hear it, it always has that oomph in it. 
just like songs. There are songs you can sing tonight, and I guarantee when you start singing them, you'll close your eyes and raise your hand because the meaning is still there. You can sing Amazing Grace, and you don't put your hands in your pocket and count your change. Amazing Grace, how sweet that. You don't do that because you've experienced something. The Word confirms that experience, and it has meaning to you. It has value, and so you praise the Lord. Well, the Word of God should be like that too. Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 12, it said, The Word of God is quick and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, even to the dividing of what is flesh and what is spirit. It's always like that. The Word is living. See, the word quick means living. And it's always a now word. The Word of God is never a yesterday word. What they said yesterday is still living today. What worked yesterday will still work today. Because the word of God never passes away. It is timeless. It is never hindered by cultures or countries or living condition. It is always what it says it is. And it works for whoever believes it, wherever they are, whoever they are. It's a living, alive, working, energizing word. And he said it's powerful. We already know what powerful is. It means it's capable of doing something. We get our word energy from this word powerful. It means it energizes itself if it's in there. If it's in there, it's something that not only keeps you going, but something that delivers you when the going gets tough and actually delivers you when the enemy comes against you like a flood because it's a sharp sword. It not only works on the convictions in your life, but it also works against the enemy when he comes against you. But it has to be like that. Acts 20, look at verse 28. I like verse 27, but let's go to verse 28, okay? I know you'll read 27 now. Okay, verse 28. Take heed therefore unto yourselves and unto all the flock over the which the Holy Ghost has made you overseers. Now, is he talking to preachers? He is. See, they didn't have big buildings to have the mega church. They didn't even have empty buildings in the market because there was no such thing then. We have that today. They didn't have that. It's hard for us to understand the church then. The church then was a house church. You couldn't put all the Christians in a house. So you had many houses, and over each house there was an elder, one who oversaw the congregation or the, or, or the group. It was He had the charge of not only feeding these people, but informing these people, and as the need arose, to teach the people. And occasionally, when the Apostle Paul came to town, like in this section here, when the Apostle Paul came to Ephesus, all the elders were called to come together because there, maybe there wasn't enough time or space to bring the whole church to come together because they did that occasionally too. You know, that's what First Corinthians, the communion was about. They come together and this group was here and that group was there and this group was here. Well, Paul just called the leaders, the overseers, the elders, and he called all of them together. And he did this a lot. He said, now, brethren, take heed. That means be careful. Watch out and pay attention. Don't take anything for granted. Don't think that because you're standing in a place of authority, the things just naturally work for you. 
any more than you read the Bible and the promises in the Bible and they just automatically work for you. Because the devil knows what he can do. You've got to know what you can do. Verse 28 again, he said, which the Holy Ghost had made you overseers to feed the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. Isn't that interesting? Let me get off the track for, for 20 seconds. Do you know the Bible declares that we as his church were purchased by the blood of God? How can that be? Well, he had a visible representative on this earth. Anyway, I just thought I'd throw that. That one's free. Verse 29. For I know this, that after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock. Somebody's going to try to take over. Somebody's going to try to get behind the picture and, and try to get their way into the leadership and take over. I'm warning you, he said. Didn't he say that? In verse 30, he said, Also of your own selves shall men arise, speaking perverse things, to draw away disciples after them. I think he's talking to ministers here. Because it does seem in church history forever, when God begins to bring a bunch of people together, somebody gets envious and wants to take over, or somebody wants to rule. That's not called to rule, not anointed or ordained to rule, but they want to. Verse 31, he said, therefore watch and remember that by the space of three years, I cease not to warn everybody day and night with tears. There's a problem with ambition in a lot of places with a lot of people. I've seen it. I've been there, watched it, visited those places and had to deal with it myself. He said, I warned you. But now here's the solution. I commend you. This is how you deal with it, anything and everything. I commend you unto God. That's your source. Unto God and the word of his grace, which is able to do what? Now, it is able to do two things, isn't it? To his word, which is able to build you up, make you strong, make you know what you're doing, how to hold fast, Stay on target, not fall prey to these things, and to give you the inheritance among all of those that are sanctified. Let's look at those two things tonight and just those two things tonight. About, uh, I'm going to title the message tonight, Lord, thank you for your word. Isn't that easy? Lord, and I mean that, Lord, thank you. Thank you for your word. We wouldn't know how to know you or how to get along or how to do anything that's right if we didn't have your word. And we couldn't even know and understand any of it unless you, the author of the word, opened our eyes to understand it. We are absolutely helpless down here. You know that? All we have is a lot of energy. But it is God alone who could put things in perspective, bring things to light and show us how it should be. And we have to depend on him for it. Now again, when these people want to come in and disrupt the church and bite and devour and, and stuff happens, uh, you need to know what the Bible says and how God says it. You got to have some wisdom on how you put that word to practice and deal with these things. 
Because this word, he said, first of all, this word is able to build you up. It means to make you strong. To be built up is to be able to make firm or permanent, make you steadfast and stickable. You're not likely to be moved off course if you're a man in whom the word is living, abiding, and in control. If you're a word of God man, then everything will have to line up with that word. Somebody gets out of order, you know what the word says, that's how you deal with it. Didn't God say this about his word? Turn to Hebrews chapter one. Let me bring this up. About the word of God. This is what he says about it. Concerning his word. In Hebrews chapter one and verse three. Who being the brightness of his glory. He's talking about Jesus, the visible, physical representation of the invisible God. God is spirit. But what we see is a visible representation of who God is. Let me say it again. Who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person. Does your Bible say that? Huh. So this is what God looks like. Would you agree? And so if God made man in his image, he didn't make a monkey. So goodbye to evolution. Okay, I just wonder. This is free. That part was free. Express image of his person and upholding all things, how? By the power of his word. You mean to tell me that everything has a course that it stays in because of something that has been said about it staying in a course? You mean to tell me that everything that exists to us simpletons who are not <laughs> big academians, we're just simple people. You mean to tell me that we believe that everything that is, is a result of a word? Psalms 33 verse four, I mean, he spoke a word and it came to pass. You mean to tell me that you believe that, that the, the, all that is seen was, was once unseen? That there was nothing, there was no word you could use to describe what was made. There was nothing to compare it with, but what was made was on the inside of God first, a word. Could I say it like this, that on the inside of God, before anything ever was, God had a picture of what he wanted. He framed that picture with a word and spoke it. B, whop. Somebody said, you really believe that? As much as I know how. And they say, you poor soap. I still believe it. All the stars in the sky, everything that is, even with his own physical hands, he didn't speak this, he made this. He made a form he made a picture of himself. He made what was going to be like him. And again, it wasn't hooped over, heaped over, walking, doing, <laughs> it wasn't like that. This that he made was made in his image. And he went, and it became alive. And it became the first man, made in the likeness on the inside of both outer and inner. 
He was made like God wanted to be. You mean tell me you believe that? That by the breath of his mouth, the heavens were made. By the breath of his mouth, life came to be. That a human being became alive by the breath of his mouth. Disciples, after the resurrection, when Jesus went, they became new creatures, new life. Who knows? I know. I believe I know. And by the power of his word, everything that exists is ruled by it. What is not under the oversight of a word from God? Not even death. We all die. No man gets to live forever in this physical body, which is not made to be eternal in this state. It has to be a new body. Mortal shall have to put on immortality. But even if it dies... Who can make it come alive again? How did Jesus do that? Lazarus. He spoke and a man came out of a grave, didn't he? Is there that kind of power in words? He was made in the image of God. He said, the works that I did, you shall do also. Can you do that? You need to. If you want to go out and try, I doubt if you can any more than you can fill your tub up full of water and, and try to walk across the tub. But there may come a day you have to, and that'll work. But it's all because of the power of his word. The Bible says again there in that third verse, he upholds all things by the power of his word. All things by the power of his word. Through faith, Hebrews says, we understand the worlds were framed. That's Hebrews 11 and verse 3. Through faith, we understand that the worlds were framed. There's that word framed again by the word of God so that the things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. But God saw on the inside of him what he wanted, so he spoke it. You ever spoke? If you're a parent, you ever spoke to a child that's not feeling well because you know this is not right and the picture I have is healing and health and not this? I'm unwilling to cooperate with this. So I speak what to it? I speak the word. Can I do that? If I've hit it in my heart and I believe it, I can. It's the word of faith which we speak. It's what he says. You got to speak to the mountains. You got to speak to the kids. You got to speak to your car. You got to speak, period. But going back to this word, there were all things that, that this word does. If it's that kind of power in the word, and you take that word and hide it in your heart, let's say you memorize it. That doesn't make it work because you can memorize a lot of things to answer questions on an exam. I've done that. Got a good grade occasionally. But you cannot, by memory, call it faith. But faith comes because of the entrance of the word in your heart. And you begin to believe it. You begin to live it. You begin to act like it's true. You begin to talk like it's true. You become a doer of the word and not just a hearer only. Now, if I believe that like that, if that's the experience that I'm having or you're having, 
then the effect, the evidence that we're going to start showing to people is that we're being built up. That something in us is making us look at life without the fear we used to have or the fear that most people have. Without the fear of sickness or aging or health and what if and I can't afford. You lose that fear. Why? Because God has something to say about that. Doesn't he? Does God have anything to say about your physical well-being? He does. He said, I'm the Lord that heals you. He said, I'll deliver you from all sickness. That's what he said. Proverbs 4, he said, his word is medicine to your flesh. If you hide it in your heart, let it not depart from your eyes. Keep it in the midst of your heart. He said, the word becomes life to those that find it and health to all their flesh. And the Hebrew word for health, other ways is translated for healing, deliverance from sickness. I don't know how many people anywhere in the church believe that, but it's in their Bible. It is believable, but not many people seem to think so. So it's not a weapon for them. It's not a word that they can trust in because they're not sure of it. But Paul said, now listen, I commend you to the word of God, which is able now, if it's able to do what's on page one, if, if it's able to save a lost soul, then it is able to heal a sick soul or a sick person, isn't it? Come on now. So this is what is looking at us every time we look at this book. Every page is rich in promises. Every word oozes with power. God has said nothing that is not workable or doable. It's never, ever a yesterday word. It is now. Like faith. Faith is now the substance of things hoped for and so forth. It's now. It's for right now. It was never something that passed away. It is right now. There are historical events that are to teach us something. But what is taught in those events is how we cope today. And, and that's the way it should be. He said, the word is able. And think of it, if I start believing like this, not only do I have a sense of weirdness in the world, and I know what that means, but you also get built up. It doesn't bother you anymore when people think you're weird because you know in whom you have believed, and they have nothing like that to believe. All they can believe is in that policy, that education, and that hopefully marrying the right Mrs. Mister, having pretty kids that get scholarships, and just hope in the meantime you don't get sick and die and miss all of that. They have no hope of eternity. They have no anything in the future to look forward to except somebody taught them, well, you know, you're not a bad person. You won't go to hell. I mean, you're not that bad. That's all they got. Some kind of a man-made idea that heaven is only for good and bad. You go to heaven if you're better than bad people were. <laughs> I mean, nobody's perfect. And so they kind of hope that that works like that. But when they come to the end of their life, it's so uneasy that something here, man, I'm missing something. This is tearing me up. I want to be able to know what I believe. I want to be encouraged with the word. I want to be strong in the word and the power of his might. I want to have this surety in my life. Look at Colossians chapter 2 because this is what happens 
when that building up process takes place. Just a few pages back, Colossians chapter 2 and verse 7. Rooted and built up in him as you have been, what? Does the Bible say taught? Verse 7, rooted and built up in him and established or established in the faith as you have been taught, abounding therein with uncertainty. Boy, that's it. Every, every time I read a verse like this, I want to stop and talk for an hour. I guess there, there is a desire. That don't miss anything here. Don't miss anything. Feast on every word and every verse because there, there is power and a message in every verse. I mean, we can read this and let it go in one ear and out the other. It becomes a Sunday school lesson or a Sunday school story, and it has no bearing on what you're doing and how you're living. But he said, rooted and grounded and built up, there's our word, built up in him and established in the faith as you have been taught and abounding therein, this is the evidence of it, with thanksgiving. You become a thankful, positive, you're not a negative person. You're not one of those talk show people that just always negative. Or if there's three people on a talk show, they all three talk at the same time, you get nothing out of you, you might as well turn it off. It's a word that builds you up, grounds you, makes you really sure and, and, and confident. I don't know how you could ever preach if you weren't. I really don't know. Because there are 10,000 challenges from the day you stand <clears throat> until it's over. There'll be 10,000 challenges to what you're doing in one form or another. And if you don't know what you believe, somebody will get you. And Paul warned us. He said, I warned you day and night. You got to live above reproach. There's some things others do you can't do. Because if you're going to preach this, you got to live this. This is the way it works. But this is what makes the word what it ought to be. You live it, you trust it, you abide in it, it works for you, you have, you have a testimony of it. Look in chapter 1 of Colossians, verse 23. He says, if you continue in the faith, grounded and settled. There it is again, grounded and settled, rooted. And be not moved away from the hope of the gospel which you have heard, which was preached to every man under heaven, so forth. That's how important it is. That's how important it was for Paul. Paul said at the end of the first chapter of Colossians, he said, I warn every man I meet. Can you imagine? Paul wasn't very fluffy. He wasn't. He wasn't very fluffy and entertaining. He knew how thin the path is a lot of people are standing on and, and how easy it is to waver. He knew that. He knew how easy it was to just follow a man rather than follow God because it's a whole lot easier. He challenged them all. Have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? He said, the what? He said, well, what did you believe? He didn't mind asking them what they believe. He didn't say, are you a Baptist, a Methodist? He didn't do that. He said, what do you believe? What do you believe? What do you believe about this? Or what do you believe about that? On, this, on the Sabbath day, the Bible said he'd go into the, into the temple and talk to the Jews there. He disputed daily with them, he said, because he had a message of life. He knew what he believed. And he wanted everybody he met to believe it. Wouldn't it be good if that was our drive here? 
We want everybody to be on the same page with the right thing. Believe in what God said. And abounding therein with silence. <clears throat> abounding therein with thanksgiving. Look in 2 Timothy 3, verse 15. And that from a child thou hast known. That's not acquainted with, that's involved with. Thou hast known the holy scriptures which are able. Does it say that? Good. What are the scriptures able to do? To make you wise. To make you sure and certain that the choices you have made are the eternally right choices. That these choices will draw you to God, draw God to you, and they will bring about salvation in your life. In verse 15, and that from a child. Somebody taught this boy, his grandmother and his mother, Eunice and Lois, taught him these things. And that from a child thou hast known. You set your children down on occasion and what maybe systematically and you teach them. You challenge the minds of your children. What do you believe? Why do you believe that? Why do you believe that? I challenged my little grandson. Now, he's sleeping. It's been a long day. He's been out working hard today. I said to him tonight, we were laying on the couch. He's talking about Jesus. And I said, what's the cross? He was trying, in his little mind, trying to describe to me what is kind of humorous, what a cross was. I said, what, what good was it? And that, just, that was a big blank. I mean, there was zeros everywhere popping up. It was a cross. I don't know what it was for, even what it was, apparently, but I, it was Jesus and the, the cross. We got the story pretty much right, Jesus and the cross. What was the purpose of it? Why a cross? What does a cross mean? Why didn't he die on a, at a stake or something? Why didn't he just get hung? Or why, why a cross? Does the Bible have anything to say? Well, of course it did. Cursed is a man that dies on a cross for a tree. Remember that? And he bore the what? The curse of the law. So it was necessary for him to die that way in fulfilling the curse that we were all under. Well, anyway, I thought that, you know, if he gets awake, he'll, he'll, he'll get that later on. But <laughs> praise the Lord. From the Holy Scriptures that were able to make you wise into salvation. Remember Isaiah 55? You don't have to turn to it. He said, as the rain and snow come down from heaven, waters the earth, makes the earth produce. It gives, produce a seed you can sow next year and produce a seed you can make bread out of. He said, so shall my word be that goes forth out of my mouth. It shall not what? But it shall accomplish. Does that mean that God made his word or designed his word to do what he said? But he said, if my word shall accomplish what he pleases, then our life essentially comes down to us living on his terms with what he wants. And he gives us the word to want. We didn't think up things like healing and health and prosperity and peace and joy and deliverance. I read that. 
That was God's idea. This is the way of life he wants me to live. These are the things he wants me to partake of. He said, this is how he's glorified. So I said, okay, then be it unto me according to thy word. And then you begin to see that God delights himself in the deliverance of his children or giving you his kingdom. He wants you to ask. He upbraids you not for asking. Remember that in James 1? He doesn't get after you for asking all the time. He wants to be your source. He wants you to read his word, believe his word, and then go to him and say, Lord, this is what I want you to do. You said you would do it. I ask you to do it in Jesus' name. And then you start believing that he will, even though it doesn't look like it. You, like God, call those things that be not as though they are. And you start living like you're well or delivered or blessed or something, even though it doesn't look like it. That's when you look weird to, to the world. But remember, if it's faith, God calls those things that be not. And faith is the evidence of things not seen. When I see it, I don't need to believe it anymore. If I can't see it, I've got to believe it. I've got to believe it. Remember the story about the pop machine? Yes, Brother Tom. Educated people put their money in that pop machine before they ever see the product. They see an image of it. They see a big can up there. It's got sweat coming off of it. It's cold. <laughs> Ooh, if you drink enough of it, it'll probably kill you. But there it is. <laughs> Put your money in. Make a selection. If you believe that. And you know most people do, don't they? They chuck them quarters in there. It's like it's a slot machine. And they hit the button and they get back expecting. And out it comes. But when it comes to the word of God, they think we're strange that we believe that God will do on his instructions what that pop machine said it would do with this product, that God will do the same thing with his word. There is little faith in the whole world. If Jesus asked the question, when the son of man returns, will he find faith? Who will he find that takes him at his word? I mean, did he deliver us from all of our fears or not? then why in the world are Christians talking about, well, I'm afraid, you know, this scares me to death. I thought I'd die. Why are you saying that? Don't you believe? Don't you believe that God will do what he said? If a mother saw her child sitting out on the porch crying, she said, what's wrong, honey? He said, I'm hungry. Well, we're going to eat dinner in a minute, and I don't know if you'll feed me or not. She'd be pretty disappointed. You have no more faith in me and my, the best years of my life are going to be spent with you. I'm going to give you my best time and energy just to make you grow up. And you're sitting there acting like I won't do what I said. I wonder how many times we do God that way. He's given us 8,000 times of what he said he will do. And we sit back and say, I don't know about that. But you get the word of God in a man. Get the word of God in a congregation. Keep feeding them. Keep saying it. Go over it again and again and again and again. To all be patty, special sauce, lettuce, cheese, pickles, onions on a sesame seed bun. Keep saying it. And it'll start getting in there. And then a problem comes up and that sword comes out. The Holy Spirit prompts you and you got a weapon. And you use it and it works and you go, and then you start acting like something's going to work. Now you've got wisdom in your life because you know how you're going to respond. Word of God does that. It's like that. Unless a person is either bored with it or dull of hearing 
are really not interested or to them the word is just, yeah, I've heard that before. It's a yesterday word. I've, I remember, yeah, I've heard that before. And it's not living. And if it's not living, then it essentially is a dead letter. That's what it says. How many believe the word has power to heal? What does centurion say to Jesus? And he said, my servant lies home sick. Jesus said, I'll come and what? Heal him. The servant said, what? I am not worthy for you to come to my house. There's nothing about where I live that's good enough for you. But if you will speak the word, the W-O-R-D only, he'll be healed. Because whatever's bothering him has to mind what you say. And if you said it has to, that devil has to go, these spirits of infirmity have to leave this man, they will leave this man. So all you got to do is talk. You don't need to come to my house and breathe hard. Just speak the word. You know what Jesus said? He said, no, that's what I want. No, no, that's not what he said. He said, I haven't found such great faith in all Israel. Or that lady just wanted the crumbs that fell from the table. Jesus said it's not right to take children's bread and give it to dogs. And essentially she said, you know, I might be a dog. I don't think much of myself either. I'm, I have no class. N-C-A-A, no class at all. I'm, I'm empty. But I don't want the whole loaf of bread. Just give me a crumb. Just give me a crumb that falls from the table. They don't want it, I'll take it. Because if, if I get a crumb... I'm healed. And, and you know what? The little girl was delivered. We read that and we think, boy, I'd like to have. It's as real right now, tonight, today, as it was way back then. Just like the same word that could save a man then can save a word today. Hebrews 7 said, God is able to save to the uttermost, wherever they are, whoever they are, whatever condition or climate they're in, he is able to save to the uttermost those that come to God by him. His nothing is too hard for God. He is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that you ask or think, there is no other element existing in time and eternity that can make the same claim. All the heady wisdom of men and all the designs of men, all of them pulled together, amplified a hundred times, cannot do anything that God said he could do. He is able to do exceeding abundantly. Insurance company says, now you're protected. You are never protected because you have insurance. You can die with it. You can die without it. Well, I have health insurance. You can die sick with that. But with God, no evil shall befall you. No plague come near your dwelling. All he waits for is that fellowship time in verse 1. He that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, he is my God, my rock, my fortress, and in him I will trust, surely. And then you go on and read all the wonderful and marvelous things that come from that. Why wouldn't a whole church get on their faces and seek that? 
Unless maybe they're not that tore up about it. You take the power of God. He said, every man that comes to the Lord, in John chapter 10, you remember that, the door and the sheep? He said that no man is able to pluck his people out of his hand. Talk about assurance. It doesn't feel like it sometimes, and you may not think it looks like it, but God has his hand on you because you're his, and he made you the choice. That's Ephesians 1. He made you his choice. No man is going to be able to pluck you out of his hand. Now, you don't know that he's got you except you read that, so you fight because that's part of the deal. You fight. God inspires the fight. God gives the word. The Holy Ghost prompts you with the word that God wants you to hide in your heart. You draw the sword. You engage the enemy. You fight the good fight. God delivers you. But he started this whole thing in the beginning. He's teaching us how to do it his way, how to walk on his terms and to trust him with all of our heart. That's the first thing. It's able to build you up. The second thing in Acts 20 was able to what? Give. Somebody say you an inheritance. Thank you. The second thing, not only is the word able to build you up, make you strong, have this kind of faith we just talked about, but it's also able to give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. Now, what is an inheritance? Everybody knows what an inheritance is, I suspect. Inheritance is something given and not earned. It's something that was left to you. Something that was legally given to you as a possession that you could not buy or earn. You had no attachment to your inheritance. Parents usually leave an inheritance to their children. They don't have to. It's not a legal term. You have to do this. You can if you want to. And if you leave an inheritance to your children, it's because you wanted to. You wanted them to have it. They couldn't earn it. There was a time in their life they wouldn't have got it if they wanted it. But you give them an inheritance. You know what Jesus did? Jesus not only took our place as cursed people. All of us like sheep. We were all doomed. None of us were righteous. We couldn't make ourselves righteous. We couldn't go to church enough, give enough, lay on our face on a cold basement floor enough to get saved. Seeing that man is hopelessly doomed to death, Jesus said, I'll take his place. He said, I have come to do thy will. He became a lamb, the lamb of God, God's offering for man's sin. And this lamb was offered up on a cross, a type of altar. And there his death came out, shed his blood. And by the shedding of his blood, he fulfilled all the requirements necessary for redemption. Never sinned, never broke a single rule of anybody's, never violated anything from God, and was therefore able as a sinless person to offer himself on the behalf, we call that vicarious, offer himself on the behalf of other sinful people. God accepted him. He went to the cross. He died and he shed his blood. And by the shedding of his blood, 
Our sins were washed away. And then he arose from the dead, verifying that what I said is true. What I did is eternally done. I am who I said I was, and what I did has secured for you. If you will believe that, all of you who will believe may partake of your redemption. I'll draw you out of darkness and bring you into my marvelous light, imperfect as you are, with all your flaws and shortcomings. And how many of you know that when he got you, he got a bunch of flaws and shortcomings? Well, he did. Let me tell you all, if you don't know that, he did. What a mess he got. Look, in a, look around. You know what? He picked who he wanted. You didn't choose me, he said. I chose you and I ordained you. I made you mine. I'm going to teach you. I'm going to whip you, chastise you, straighten you out, instruct you, and teach you. I'm going to guide you with my eye on you. And you're going to stand in the latter days, and God's going to say, well done. All because this was God's plan. This is the way he wanted to do it. Why would he do it that way? If you make it, ask him. I don't know why he did it that way. I'm glad he did, and I'm glad I can understand at least this little bit of it. I don't know much about it, but I know enough of how to get myself into favor with the Lord as he spoke into my heart, broke it, and opened my eyes to see it. That much I know. And he brought us to him. Now, what he gave me, what I have walked into, is not death and hell and eternal doom, but an inheritance. Something I couldn't earn, something I could not get, but something that was given to me. Turn to 1 Peter chapter 1 and look, first of all, at verse 2. Elect. How many of you know what elect is? All of you do. This is tough. We're going to make it pretty narrow, but I can't help it. Elect means God's sovereign choice of who would be his children from the foundation of the world. Before there was a world, there was a choice. You had nothing to do with it. It was God who made the choice. Anyway, you read that in Ephesians chapter 1. Elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, through sanctification of the Spirit, unto obedience and the sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ, grace unto you and peace be multiplied. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy has regenerated us unto a lively living hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. 2 verse 4, to what? To an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that fadeth not away reserved in heaven for you who are kept present tense, who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice, even though now for a season, if necessary, you're in heaviness through all kinds of temptations, that the trial of your faith, being much more precious than of gold that perishes, even though it's tried by fire, may be found to result in praise, honor, and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ, whom having not seen you love, Though now you see him not yet believing, we rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, what? 
Now, would you agree with me that this receiving the end of your faith is where your inheritance, your eternal inheritance begins? Because see, there is an inheritance over yonder. He speaks of it here. Reserve where? In verse 4, reserve where? In heaven for whom? For you. In the meantime, between then and now, there's life. Life with its difficulties and its problems, which must be orchestrated by faith. You've got to believe all the way through this life that what he said he will do, even though it may not look like it, you got to believe. Because he won't fail you. He won't let you down. He'll hold fast to you, and he's going to, he's going to keep you. But this salvation is what he's going to bring you to in the end. This is past tense. What about in the present tense? Is there an inheritance now? I mean, is there anything I can say that since I have been made his, that I have something now that was given to me that I could not earn? Now, right now, before I die. So there is something I did not have and could not have that upon being born again, I get. So it's for me to discover what those things are and, and pray that the Holy Spirit will give me wisdom and revelation about all of these things. Because only he can open my eyes to see them. What are some of the things that I can say that I get? How about 1 Timothy chapter 6? Still got your Bible? How about 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse something? Now I charge the rich in this world not to be heady or high-minded. 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 17 to the rich. Don't be heady and high-minded. Don't expect to get breaks and privileges because you got money. Money doesn't count here. We're all equal. Who giveth us, at the end of the verse, he gives us what? Richly what? Does that mean that while I'm here in this flesh going through the battles of life and the difficulties that are promised, that I also can expect to enjoy things in this life? There are going to be seasons of refreshing and deliverance from all of that so that I can actually enjoy life? Will he give me the desires of my heart? Didn't the psalmist say that if you will delight yourself in the Lord, he will give you the desires of your heart? Can that really be? The world is spending all of its resources to try to do that. People are lying or cheating and they're stealing and they're deceitful. They kill and they murder. They do whatever they can to get that. People are going to school believing that if I can get that education, if I can get this job, then I'll get that. And yet God says to the likes of us, the nobodies, he said he gives us richly all things to enjoy. You want to enjoy it? Richly. He adds no sorrow to what he gives. God doesn't make us regret that we got blessed. He doesn't cause the Deuteronomy 28, all these blessings shall come upon you and overtake you. So you can say, would you please stop it? Man, I'm so blessed. These blessings are just wearing me out. No, I don't think you'd do that. You know why? Because deep down in your heart, you like the breaks in life that you get. But the one that God gives is greater because it doesn't depend on things in this life. It just depends on what you know.
and what you believe. And when the devil comes in, God raises up a standard. When this problem comes, God brings that word to your attention. God does this and God does that. Go back to Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1. Look at verse 12. This is a sentence that started way back in verse 9, and it's tough to butt in on a sentence because there's, there's two messages in here. If you sit still long enough, we'll preach from both tonight, but we probably won't stay here that long. Verse 10 says that you might walk worthy of the Lord into all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Strengthened with all might according to his glorious power unto all patience and long suffering with joyfulness, giving thanks unto the Father, which has made us qualified to be partakers of what? Made us qualified. The, the word meet means to be qualified. Fit. Who has made us qualified. Not everybody has made us. Has made us meet. That is, he has conferred upon us grace sufficient to make proper that we should partake of the blessings of his kingdom. He's given it to us. And he's qualified us to receive all of that. Ask and what? You shall receive. Seek and you shall find. What he's saying in 2 Corinthians 9, 8, God is able to make all grace abound toward you that you always having all sufficiency in all things may abound to every good work. Did he say that? Well, I said that, but I think that's what the Bible says, 2 Corinthians 9, 8. That's what he's promised. This is our inheritance now. I mean, right now while I'm walking or while I'm standing here talking. And again, you know, in Ephesians 3.20, he is able to do exceeding what? Abundantly above all that we ask or think. Now, while I'm still alive in this world, I want to be blessed when I go out. I want to be blessed when I come in. I always want the best blessing here. Always. 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 This is the most important. And if it's blessed here, somebody will be blessed there. Maybe not everybody here, but somebody will be. Amen. You see, this is where this Lord, thank you for your word comes from. You are never, listen, you are never without something right to do if you've been hiding this word in your heart. You're never in a hopeless situation if the word is abiding in you. You are always, always more than a conqueror. You are a uper nikeo. You are more than conquerors through Christ. Always. That's the way God sees you. Now, if you could ever see yourself like that and start thinking like that, I am what God says I am. I see me in the pages of this book. This was addressed to me. This is what God wants. Give me a vision. 
give me the vision of all of this. Let me see myself, just like you said, especially holy and at peace with you. Let me see that more than anything else. This is what I want to see. Sanctification. You were sanctified when you got saved. When you were born again, God set you apart to himself. With all your problems and all your flaws, all your background, all your nastiness, he saved you, brought you to himself, put a new spirit within you, and set you apart unto himself. That's what sanctification means. It is set apart unto God, and because God is now involved, the word holiness comes in from which the word is formed. You are made holy. You haven't lived holy yet. You haven't experienced holy transformations in all your life, but he has made you holy so that everything he wants can now come forth. Sanctification not only is an instantaneous thing that happens at the new birth, but it's also a process, a process whereby you are living the life that God wants you to live and to be sanctified, sanctified through salvation and so forth. So we're walking that way tonight. Teach me thy ways, O Lord, why? That is a separated life. Did you know that? When you're not living like them, you're living on his terms, you're living separated. You're living unto God. He's pleased with that. His approval is on that kind of life. He blesses you and makes a difference with you. This is who the promises, the inheritance is for. This is what the word of God brings us. We see it. It's shown to us. We experience it. Amen. Bow your head. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, tonight, tonight, make us aware just if only for a moment tonight or beginning tonight, make it be a living and abiding truth. Make us aware of who we are in your sight and what you did for us to be that. Make us to be thankful, not for our toys and our blessings, but for being saved, that our names are written in heaven. Give us that, Lord. Help us to walk in the light of your word and be holy people and to always be able to say, thank you, Lord, for your word. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.